All right, Rocket City Podcast. Welcome. Today, we have a special guest, a good friend of mine. Um, we had a lot of adventures together, including one running away from bears. <laughs> we won't talk about that story this time around. Um, I having close calls with uh, uh, boats and uh, jet skis. Mm, yeah. yeah. It's um, a fun weekend. Yeah. Dustin. What's up? What's up? How you doing, buddy? Hey, doing great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. <laughs> hope you had fun. Yeah, it was good. I got to uh, watch a bunch of model rockets get launched up at midnight. It was awesome. Indeed. Yeah, it indeed. Really cool. Indeed. So, Dustin, um, where are you from? I am. And Sorry. <laughs> you're good. Jump the gun there. <laughs> <laughs> go for it's it. Usually ha- <laughs> it's all good, man. <laughs> where are you from? Uh, where did you go to school? And tell us about your background, your degree, and what you're studying now. Oh, man, so many questions fired at once. No, uh, so I am uh, from a little town called Port Charlotte, Florida. Um, it's on the Gulf side uh, in between Punta Gorda and uh, uh, Sarasota. But okay. I went up to Tampa, Florida um, to, for college for uh, University of South Florida. Got my physics degree. Yeah. Uh, that was back in 2013. Um I knew that I wanted to continue my education into a graduate level, but I didn't want to go straight into one. So I kind of jumped around from job to job to see what I could do with just a bachelor's in physics. Um, When I was still getting it, I got a part-time job at Busch Gardens in Tampa. So I worked at a theme park. Um, I worked for their education program. So I did a lot of their their sleepover programs, their uh, summer programs, things like that. got a lot of really cool experience teaching experience and animal experience because there's it's a, um, essentially a zoo down there yeah um, it, I mean that quite literally <laughs> um, so I got to take kids behind the scenes with uh, all the different areas of the zoo um, and I essentially learned what it was like to be a zookeeper at the same time so that was really cool we also did a lot of behind the scenes tours of roller coasters wow. so I got to actually meet with some of the uh, engineers that helped build those coasters um, mm. And got to see them like when they were taking apart the the train cars. Uh, they do it every 365 days that a train car is on the track. Um, they have to bring it out and basically take the entire thing apart and replace every single part of it to make sure that it's you know safe and ready to go. That's very uh, that makes me feel safer about riding oh, roller coasters. No, <laughs> roller coasters are way safer than you think. You yeah. always hear about these stories of roller coasters like getting stopped on the tracks and stuff, mm-hmm. but that's actually a very safe thing for roller coasters to do they have block breaks every part of the track so if there's something that that the Hmm. computer system detects that's not right that's not optimal they will stop them on those block breaks just to make sure that nothing happens wow and then people freak out and they're like oh this this coaster stopped here it's so unsafe it's like no actually that probably just saved your life (laughs) interesting (laughs) it's yeah um they're they're really really safe it's really cool to um, or to have had the experience to be able to see like how they're built and all the safety mechanisms that goes with it. It was really cool. That is cool. Um, and um, we met in a specific place that just for professional purposes, and I won't uh, necessarily name, but I think it's so interesting, all the people we meet and all the cool experiences they've had and just all the value and the talent and skills and I think we connected quite a bit, quite a bit because of all the experiences of different jobs we had. Oh, that was your sure. main job though. Yeah. And it was really cool that you had that experience behind your belt. Um, so, so I was, I was part-time there for quite a few years. Um, I never got full-time. 
Really? Um, yeah. I was there for about seven years. Even yeah. as a manager? I thought you were a manager no. at one point. Aha. Uh-huh. So I was not manager at Bush Gardens. I was manager at the Museum of Science and Industry. Oh, that right. was also in Tampa. Okay. So I had both of the jobs at the same time. So I was part-time at Bush Gardens and did all that really cool stuff. Um, but then I was full-time manager of guest experience at the Museum of Science and Industry. Okay. Um, so that was really cool. I was in charge of a team uh, that did live science demonstrations. Yeah. And we called each other the steampunks because <laughs> we were themed science, technology, engineering, art, and math. Uh, so just that extra art um, concept of it uh, on top of STEM. And uh, we would, um, just to be engaging with all the guests that came through, we would dress up as steampunk characters. So kind of like the cosplay characters. Yeah, and you can actually find some of this online. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes you can. Uh, There's a a few (laughs) videos on YouTube of some of the shows out there. I even did a live science demonstration at the Association of Science Technology Centers Conference that was in Tampa. That was in 2016. So feel free to look that up. It's ASTC 2016 live demo hour. And... uh, I had two Tesla coils on each side of me, and I created a Faraday suit, which was basically chainmail, but it covered my entire body. And I had the electricity hit me from both sides, and it would just travel on the outside of my suit. And I would just do different things with it. <laughs> it was really fun. And when this man says he's a physics major and he loves science, it's an understatement because he's over here with Tesla coils and <laughs> Faraday suit. <laughs> I, I will admit there was a small gap between in my left wrist oh, between the glove and <laughs> when, it, when the tesla coil came on it hit me right in my wrist yeah and if you look carefully in the video when it first turns on you can see my arm kind of coil back to it and i kind of did an electric slide to the right <laughs> to get out of it yo that's smooth electric slide and it was, it was in the middle of the show live where people are watching me so i just had to continue on with the show and act like nothing happened <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, after you know, after they turned off for that segment, I kind of adjusted it while I was still talking, and I didn't get electrocuted the rest of the show. So <laughs> that's impressive, man. You just like let that roll. Yeah, good. It was <laughs> hey, great story, that's right? Great. <laughs> so, um, what are you studying now in school? And, yes. Uh, so I did. I mm-hmm. did end up going uh, back to mm-hmm. school. Like I said, I was going to before. Um, only took a couple years or so. I just wasn't getting you know what i wanted out of the job force yeah um with a bachelor's so i am now a graduate student at embry riddle um, but it's through their online program so i can still be right here in huntsville um, and take all their classes and it's for a master's in systems engineering all righty systems engineering yep and where does that uh concern itself in your new year's resolution for 2000 18 which is impressive and you always make me jealous when i'm looking at your snapchat stories i'm like dang yes so um, he he's well you explain it but every time you see i see him he's like yeah 363 364 365 i'm like dang every day almost 365 uh but to explain so my new year's resolution of last year of 2018 i had never been in a gym before i never really worked out i used never i used to be a runner so uh-huh. I would do cardio stuff all the time, but I never weightlifted. I, wow. I just never worried about it. And then last year um, with Planet Fitness, I saw that it was only $10 a month. And I just thought to myself, I was like, man, like I've been called skinny my entire life. You know, so many people would be like, oh, eat a burger once in a while. And I'm just like, I do all the time. <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, so 
uh, for 2018, I was just like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to, I'm going to get a gym membership and I'm not going to be like the majority of people who get a gym membership, go for like a month and then get tired of it and leave. I wanted to make it the entire year being consistent. So my new year's resolution was to go to the gym and well, it's more specifically, I wanted to work out every single day as, as many as I could the whole entire year without having any off days. Um, which a lot of people, when they hear about it, they're like, what? That's crazy. You need off days to rest. Yeah. And it's, I never did the same workout, uh, you know, back to back days. Right. So I would always do upper body one day and then lower body the next. That way, when I'm doing my lower body, my upper body would, would rest. Um, and it worked out fantastically. <laughs> and so you have not had a single rest day for over 300 days now. I wish. So that's oh. the concept. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so nothing, nothing is a perfect system. Right, right, right. Um, so wins, I, I attempted it. My goal was because I knew that I wasn't going to be perfect. It's almost impossible with life that happens when you travel and stuff like that. Sometimes you just can't seem to get a workout in with everything that's going on in your life. Right. Um, so my, my goal when I said it was I want to do it. I want to have like a 90% consistency rating. Um, so whatever out of 365, I don't know, like 335 or something like that out of 365 is what I was going for. Um, I have, so I started it 10 days into 2018. Okay. So I'm still or technically, 2018? To, I started in 2018. Oh, okay. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. We're, okay. Uh, technically so i'm still in it because i have eight days to go <laughs> gotcha um but i uh today this morning before coming on this show i was at day 366 wow er, no not 366 336 336 okay so it's going to be i'm projected to be in like the 341 342 okay um which is going to be more than 90 percent so i'm I've actually, I could just not work out the, the rest of the eight days and I'm already not over 90%, yeah. but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to keep to it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Let, uh, let me clear the math up right there. Cause I'm a little confused. 2018, you started December, 2018. I just, I, no, I started January 10th, 2018, 10 days into the year, but that's two years ago, 2018. Uh, sorry, twenty. Wow. <laughs> you kept saying twenty eighteen. You're fine. Right. I've been You're saying twenty eighteen this whole time. Like, I'm, I'm really sorry. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty. I forgot that it's twenty twenty. It's twenty twenty. I'm not used to it being twenty twenty yet. <laughs> I apologize for this entire segment already. <laughs> You're fine. Twenty nineteen <laughs> is when I started. It is twenty twenty now. Yes. <laughs> Boom. That's why I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. You should already finish if you started in December, like ten days prior. That's why I thought you know you're yeah, fine. Yeah. No. No. You you were trying to correct me that whole time. And I was just like, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. So, are you going to continue doing this? What is your plans for the next? And 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 the result. Well, actually, let's just go over the results. Like, what do you feel better? a hundred percent. And like, oh yeah. Um. So when I started, so just picture this. I'm mm-hmm. six three. Before going to the gym, I weighed about 135 pounds. Wow. 6'3", 135. Very underweight. I've been underweight my whole life. Now, I actually measured myself this morning. I'm 178. Oh, whoa. <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, like me and um, your friend and all your other friends have like noticed the improvement. We're like, holy cow, mate. Like yeah, he's my- really getting it. And we're like, wow. It's like the, <laughs> one of the, the best parts about it is when I go back home, uh-huh. Uh, I won't see my brothers or my family for like six months at a time. I'll mm-hmm. go back home and they're just like, holy 
cow dustin is that you like <laughs> you look so big i was like thank you and that just like it makes me feel really good it makes me yeah. it, it makes me know that uh or it lets me know that it's it's paying off it's yeah. it's actually working so um to continue on uh i'm not gonna stress myself out and trying to do it every single day yeah i'm still going to go to the gym often but i'm not gonna uh, like you're gonna take rest days. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna still keep it a habit to go like every day after I get off work. So I'll probably go like five days in a row. Yeah. I probably won't go on my days off uh, okay. that I have um, every week uh, because you know there were some times that I was like really stressed about it, especially if uh, I was traveling or if I was like hanging out with someone uh, throughout that day. And I'm like, oh man, I really got to get in my workout. And it's like, I'm going to have to sacrifice, you know, hanging out with this person who I haven't seen in forever or like, sac- you know, you know, sacrifice something so that I can get that hour and a half to yeah. go to the gym to work out. Um, so if I'm ever in that situation, I'm going to be like, yeah, I don't have to worry about it. I'll just have this as a rest day and go to, you know, go tomorrow. Yeah. And so. how, uh, how long would you work out for? Uh, uh, or it, like, I know it changed, but like on average, it was usually about 45 minutes to an hour long workouts okay. um my my runs would usually take a little bit longer right right um but when it was r- weight lifting it was usually about 45 minutes to an hour okay yeah you need and this is a good transition into what you want to talk about and working yes. out in the human body and outer space and how it's very difficult to just live and do everything you need to in outer space because it's a totally different environment and it your is. body starts to change and we literally almost become we start to become like a different organism or species in its own way <laughs> well i so, probably wouldn't go that far maybe I, if i feel like maybe if we start reproducing in right. nothing in microgravity and then we just never it, you know from those kids they never experience gravity and then they re- reproduce and then they never experience gravity and you know probably a couple generations down the line our dna might change enough to where we're probably not homo sapiens anymore but well, that's, that's why I have you here. You to explain the details, <laughs> and I'm just like the big picture guy. It's like, whoa, my God, we're like, you know, on a ball, a rock, flowing around a ball of fire and stuff like that. But, yeah, you know. yeah, but isn't everyone? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so, uh, you know, working out, it's, you know, astronauts on the ISS, when they're microgravity, they take about two hours every single day to work out, yeah. which is about twice as long as I, I did yeah. um, down here on Earth. Um, now... With me being on Earth and experiencing one gravitational pull of, you know, of gravity, um, my body is always feeling that pull. So it's always having to combat it. Um, So it essentially is always working to keep it up. But if you're in microgravity, like the astronauts, especially, um, you know, the ones that are there for six months or a year at a time, uh, they don't have that constant pull of gravity. So their bodies essentially become lazy. It's kind of like... If you picture yourself, you're like an Olympic runner and you are training, 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 training up, you know, to be in the Olympics, you're getting stronger, faster, um, or if you're already really strong or fast, you're essentially maintaining your time, maybe like taking a second off here and there. Right. Um, but then picture that runner to just stop running for an entire year. Doesn't do a single run for that year. Their body's going to get lazy. Yeah. Their muscles aren't going to be as strong after that end of the year. It's kind of the same concept with astronauts in space. Um, when you're in microgravity, even if you work out for two hours in the day, just that constant lack of that gravitational pull on your body, you're going to end up losing that strength. Yeah. Um, now, it's, it's possible to be in microgravity and to keep up your strength, but it would take 
working out all day. All day? All day. Oh, my God. So, I mean, astronauts, they do it for two hours and every day. That already takes up a lot of their time yeah. of, of what they're up there to do. I mean, we're going to spend the millions and millions of dollars to send these guys up there to do all of these really important experiments. We can't just have all of their time go to working out. That's just kind of a waste of money at that point. Yeah. I um, had the um, I had the opportunity to escort Larry DeLucas, an astronaut in the shuttle program, mm-hmm. and he was talking about he performed an experiment where he wasn't going to work out, and he was up there for uh, in the shuttle uh, for a week. Okay. And he lost 30% muscle mass. Yeah, I believe it. Didn't work out for a week. I believe it. So it's... An, it's crazy yeah Uh, i mean that's it's amazing what you know gravity can make your your body stronger yeah um that's why uh you know the uh legend of superman um why he can jump so high and almost be like you can fly is because the gravitational pull on his world is so much stronger than on earth that he's just that much stronger than humans that makes so it works in the opposite direction if you live your entire life on the ISS or anywhere that's microgravity, you're going to be really weak. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so the, the whole reason why I bring this up is uh, because with my studies in systems engineering, um, I'm about, uh, I started last year. Um, yeah. So I still have about a year ago, a, a year to go before I get my degree. Um, but I've already studied a lot of different systems that have been really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to kind of explain exactly what systems engineering is, yeah. because I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't know what it was <laughs> before yeah, I, I really got, don't understand before it I selected. Well, so. Um, so systems engineering, it's basically it's the person that takes the big picture of an entire project. Um, so, for example, you have different disciplines of engineering. You have civil engineering, you have electrical engineering, you have mechanical engineering, you have all these different types of engineering. Systems engineering it takes all of those disciplines and makes sure that they come together to form one coherent system. Um, so a great example of it would be the NASA's space launch system, the SLS. Um, it, what it does is, you know, that's a system that it, it takes an input and it generates a desired output. So the input would be the entire SLS system. It, it inputs fuel and commands from humans, the pilots and the astronauts. And then it outputs, you know, velocity change in Hmm. order to transport a payload to a desired location off the earth. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think a lot of people would assume the engineers from every department just puts all that together. But the fact that, no, there's like a separate thing because you need to make sure all of it works together yeah. right, correctly. And because there's different, there's different things you have to worry it, about, I assume, I mean, if from you, each discipline. If you think about it, like let's just say you're an electrical engineer yeah. and you're making sure that all the wires are, are in the right place and they're doing the correct functions and the software is going through correctly. You are so focused on that yeah. that by the time everything that you're in charge of, like it works perfectly, then you're kind of like, okay, now what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like, there has to be someone overhead to make sure that your um, finished product connects with the rest of the system to make sure that everything works properly. Um, So uh, when it comes to systems engineering, uh, that's, that's what it is. So the SLS is the system itself, but then it can always be broken down into subsystems. Right. Um, So for the, you know, the SLS uh, example, some of the subsystems, um, it would be like the the components and things such as like the rocket boosters, the cryogenic propulsion stage, the Orion capsule. Um, they're all required to interact with each other for the entire rocket to do what it's right. meant to do. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so it, it's it's like you are you're the leader almost. You you keep all it's the glue a, together in a way. In a way, like yeah, it's more of a, a project manager. Yeah, project manager. Um, it is it is a leadership role for sure. Yeah. Um, they're the ones who oversees everything. Um, which I would think you would do a fantastic job at. And thank I can't you. Wait thank to you. see where you um, take all that. That's one of the reasons why I chose systems engineering is because I've always looked at the bigger picture. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons why I, I got into physics as an undergrad is just because I wanted to learn how everything worked. Yeah. I didn't want to just be a, a certain discipline of engineering. I just wanted like to know everything about yeah. everything. <laughs> um, Amazing. So yeah, so systems engineering is basically kind of just expanding that, but in a more technical sense so that you are very useful for huge projects such as the SLS or maybe the heavy, you know, the Falcon heavy for yeah. SpaceX. Um, what I'm really interested in is because all of these, uh, all these examples that I've said, they're already, cr they're already made. They're already created. Right. What I'm really interested in is space stations, lunar gateways, okay, Mars bases, lun lun you know, lunar bases, things that are that um, people are wanting to make, but they haven't been made yet. Um, that's what I want to get into specifically. Yeah, because um, that that's really how we're going to be able to just live in outer space in mm -hmm. the beginning. I mean, that's where we are right now. We're with the ISS and all the space stations yep. where we put up. Um, that's our. I, the, the main thing we're focused on really in space. Yeah. So currently. with when it comes to systems engineering, um, you break up the system into a system life cycle. Okay. Um, and the systems, it's the job of the system engineer to come up with this life cycle so that from, from the time that it is just a thought uh -huh. in the back of your mind or the back of a couple people's mind from brainstorming to the time that it is retired and disposed of that is the entire system life cycle and the systems engineer has his hand in all of it wow um so it starts with the operational need so that's like why does the system need to exist to begin with what what justifies it you know you don't want to just put all of this money and time and effort into something that is not going to be useful right um so that's like the first step um the second step would be the system concept so that's when um you build a conceptual model mm -hmm. um to represent what it would be like um when the finished project or product is done so, you know um that's when uh requirements are put into it um so for example let's say um nasa wants a uh, the for the lunar gateway a space station that orbits around the moon mm-hmm one of the requirements is it needs to be able to refuel um, ships or spaceships that come through that are either going to Mars or somewhere else that's even further beyond. Well, that's a pretty big requirement, but yeah. it's not going to make sense for, you know, me to make a module or uh, sorry, a model that doesn't fulfill that requirement. Right. So it's like, and I mean, with systems that are this big, there's hundreds hundreds of requirements and you need to make sure that you hit on every single one because if you miss one right then it's like okay well we want this system for a reason we're going to put all this money into it and all this effort into it it needs to be it needs to fulfill all everything that it needs to be right or that it needs to refill okay um so then so once once that initial model gets passed and it, it and, uh you know you present it to your stakeholders 
um, to anybody who who's willing to like put money into it and they're happy mm-hmm. with it. Um, then it goes on to the next stage, which would be exploration and validation. And that's when it goes into the specifics components and things like that. So all of the all of the subsystems that mm-hmm. I talked about with the SLS, that's when all the models get broken down into subsystems and the components of the subsystems and all the technical performance measures and things like that. So what um, what would be needed to make like I'm trying to use an example here? <laughs> Any probably yeah, just, anything, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's. I pretty, mean this is a heat tile from a shuttle, so why don't you use that? Okay, perfect. Um, so this, <laughs> this heat tile right here, um, this is just one small component of the heat shield for right. the entire shuttle. Right. So a te- technical performance measure would be um, what to what temperature would this be able to defer? Like right. how hot can this get before it deteriorates and flakes off? Right. That would be a technical performance measure. Um, so that's, that's when um, qualities like that you know, get placed on the table to make sure that that it is fulfilling its very, very specific requirements. Right. Um, so yeah, go ahead. What's uh, specific requirements? We can jump back, kind of starting out. What do you think? I, I mean, we can go down the history of the space stations in general. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, as far as Skylab. Yeah. Um, we could use those examples and talk a little bit about uh, this space station history in general. So Russia, we beat Russia to the moon. They're kind of like, kind of, I think, peeved by that. So... But they figured out how to put up the first space station mm-hmm. and with the Salute, Salute uh, program. And they also weaponized some of those, and those are called the Almaraz. Okay. Um, and then they went with uh, the Mir and stuff after that. But we sent up Skylab. Mm-hmm. And did you have – you had some information on Skylab? Yeah. Well, so the history of space stations is actually it's, – it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so the whole concept of a space station uh, first came to be – in about 1869 it was like 1869 1870 in that wow. time um it was all science fiction of course at yeah. this point um but it and it wasn't even called a space station it was called the brick moon the brick moon <laughs> the brick moon that's right <laughs> um it was by it was uh by an author named edward everett hale and um the the brick moon that he wrote about that he described it was a t- it was 200 feet in diameter and it was it was a brick sphere essentially. Hmm. And when he came up with this concept, he originally, he didn't have it. Um, it wasn't originally planned to have people in it. It was just a sphere that kind of acted like a navigational aid for ships that wanted to go to the moon or to Mars or anything else. So it was just a navigational aid. Wow. But in the story of when he wrote it, the, um, the space, not the space station, because that's not what they called it. The the brick moon got launched when people were still working on it, when people were inside it. Oh. And it got launched, and those people got, got trapped in it and got launched with it into orbit. <laughs> and so the whole story is how they're able to survive on this brick sphere that's orbiting the Earth. And that is essentially the first time that, like, the concept of a space station ever emerged. Isn't it so interesting, like, the, with Jules Verne's book and going to the moon, that we have stuff like yeah, this yeah. back in the 1800s and we're thinking about it already? It and is very interesting. it finally starts, yeah. like, <laughs> 50 to 100 years later. That's crazy. Yes. So the, the actual term space station, uh-huh. um, it didn't come about until about 1920s. Okay. Um, it was by a Romanian rocket pioneer, Herman Oberth. Yes. Yes. I'm sure you've heard of him. Um, He envisioned a platform that was er, uh, orbiting the Earth, um, that it was to be 
a starting point for missions that went beyond it. So kind of similar to like how um, Edward Everett Hale um, had his, uh, but Herman O'Brien actually had his envision of people living on it yeah, um, and wow. operating it while it's out there. Um, and he's one of Von Brown's mentor. Yes. Yes, he cool. was. Yes, he was. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I actually, I met his great grandson. One of Von Brown's great grandson? Yeah. That's cool. No, 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 no. Not one of Von Brown's uh, great grandson. Herman Oberst's great grandson. Oh, that's cool too. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Okay. That was weird. Um, man, I wish I could say something like that. I don't know. Maybe I have, I probably have met some really big, you know, important guy and I just never realized it at the time. He didn't explain, he didn't tell me until like later. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I, I saw o- Oberth and I was like, all right, his last name's Oberth. I was like, Oh, interesting. <laughs> I wonder if that's related. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so after O'Birth came up with that concept, um, there was an American engineer a couple years later by the name of Robert Goddard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you heard mm-hmm. of him? Yeah. America. Yep. Um, he was uh, he was the first guy to start experimenting with liquid propelled rockets over you know over here in America. Um, but while he was experimenting with that, there was an amateur rocket. Uh, group over in Germany mm-hmm. that was also experimenting with liquid fuel rockets. And there was one specific guy that was handpicked out of that amateur rocket group to work for the German army. Do you know who that is? That's Warner Von Braun. Yes, it is. That is <laughs> Warner Von Braun. Yes. So um, he was pulled. He was just in an amateur rocket group. Like that's all they were. I know that's what, how. Yeah. Wow. And, um, and, I guess he uh, he was making a lot of um, good progress with mm. liquid propelled uh, rockets, so he was handpicked and kind of like forced to join the uh, German army. Right. And this is right about when World War II was going on. Yeah. Um, so yes, he was building rockets for World War II. Or, sorry, for Germany during yeah. World War II, um, and he ended up uh, constructing the V two rocket. Right. Um, we can, we kind of went down this rabbit hole. Uh, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. previous uh, episode, but yeah, okay. keep going. Um, but there's a reason why I'm talking yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a yeah. Yeah. A so um, he he developed the V2 rocket, mm-hmm. first rocket to pass the Kármán line, 100 right. kilometers above the Earth. All that you've already done this in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reason why I bring this up is because Homan or Berth, when he um, came up with the space station uh, idea, mm-hmm. he wanted. Um, or he knew that it needed to take very powerful rockets to get it up into orbit. And he knew that the rockets that we had now weren't powerful enough. So when Warner Von Braun went into, he was developing liquid propelled, one of his things that he was thinking of in the back of his mind is, I can develop these rockets to help get a space station in orbit. Oh my gosh. All the way back in World War II with the V-2 rockets. I know there's different versions of the V-2 rocket he had on paper Mm -hmm. that some were even like second stage and stuff. And he got in trouble, I think even locked up in jail for a little bit because they thought the Germans wanted him just to construct missiles Mm -hmm. and blow stuff up. When he put like, when he started putting people in it, they were like, what are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) Like in his designs. Yeah. So, um, so after World War II, um, Von Braun, and I'm sure you mentioned this in your earlier episodes, he came over to America Mm -hmm. um, with his blueprints. He built the V2 rocket Mm -hmm. here just to show us that he can build such a great rocket. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he, uh, um, he got, he became friends with Walt Disney and he got a TV show, a Disney TV show called Tomorrowland. Did you talk about this? I have not talked about that yet. So yeah. So for those of you who have heard of Tomorrowland, um, Warner Von Braun 
uh, had a couple episodes where he talked about space stations on Tomorrowland. And this was kind of the first time that he was really pushing that information for the public to know. Yeah. Um, and his concepts were crazy, yeah. but they made sense. They were really cool. Um, he He's the one that came up with the concept of uh, the space station would be kind of like a donut, uh, like a toroid shape, and that it would spin to create artificial gravity so that people would you know, would have gravity and their bones wouldn't liquefy. <laughs> and the, yeah. And they're so. look, they're looking at that design now for mm-hmm. a potential there's, one. There's a few still, companies. They're yeah. like, we're going to try to build that. And they've had design, they've designed on um, like computers and stuff, mm-hmm. different ones. And they think they might actually start so building the, one of these. The, the concept is correct. Yeah. All, all the logic behind it is correct. It's just actually making it. Yeah. <laughs> actually building it to where it is safe for humans to be in and getting it into orbit and keeping the orbital motion yeah. consistent. That's what's really difficult, and that's yeah. why we haven't done it yet. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so um, that's kind of where... Um, that's kind of where space stations, you know, they got started. Yeah, um, it the was concept. Just, it was just a science fiction thing that an author back in the 1800s created and then you know all these people who were building rockets are like you know what we actually are starting to get the technology this actually might be possible and they're like let's just try it yeah and i mean that's how a lot of a lot of technology happens right they're just like hey let's just try it see what happens yeah um so with von braun being over in america and working for nasa um and getting uh you know the concept out to on tomorrowland the tv the disney tv series um all these people were getting really interested and nasa decided to go ahead and start um researching and trying to build space stations um so it was in the 1960s that nasa ended up making inflatable wheels um in langley virginia and they're mm. uh, the langley really? um, research lab uh they made inflatable wheels um to kind of test out what a space station would kind of consist of or what it would look like obviously since it was inflatable it's not gonna really yeah. work all that well yeah. um, but it was just these? like a what's that they deployed these in our space no no okay. this is all on earth okay but they were ju- they were just testing out concepts yeah. like you know building models and stuff like that um in 1969 so this is when the apollo uh program is going mm-hmm. on so um when nasa was first founded um and they were going through mercury and gemini they wanted to um they wanted to focus on a space station more than the moon at first at first i didn't realize that and then uh when um they started getting into the apollo program and they started to hear rumors that you know russia was going to the moon america's like yeah we're not very far in the space station experiments in, in in research so we're just gonna put that off to the side on the back burner and we're just going to go into the Apollo program and focus on the moon. So space station technology and, and things like that kind of got put on the back burner for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, in 1969, uh, it it was still around. It just wasn't as much of a push. So in 1969, um, NASA proposed a 100 man, uh, space station and they called it space base. Whoa. Yeah. You might have, you might not have known that. Um, it went through, it went through like they built models for it and stuff. Um, but then it, it kind of fell through pretty early on Uh because it was discovered that the cost of actually building it and getting it up into space 
was going to be too much because all of the rockets that they would use to do it at this time were all expendable. They were one-time use rockets. Right. Think of like the Saturn V, the Saturn One, yep. the Gemini, yeah. not the um, Atlas. Thank you. Western yeah. The, yes. So they're all expendable. So it would cost more money in just getting the pieces up to space yeah. than it would to build the dang thing. <laughs> So, uh, so, so what, what was it going to look like? It was in a hundred people. That's insane. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I don't have a picture with oh, me. Oh, that's fine. Maybe Dylan can pull it up over Mr. there. Control. Um, but as as he's pulling that up, I'll just continue on. Um, so, like I said, it it was going to cost way too much. They didn't have mm. they they knew that they needed reusable vehicles to be able to have you know save the amount of money to, you know to get right. it up to cost. So that's actually. Um, what kind of led into the STS program, the shuttle program? That would make sense. I they mean, needed they needed a a reusable vehicle to okay. be able to go back and forth in the space so that they didn't have to rebuild every single time. Yeah. Wow. Um, so in 1973, um, they used parts left over from the last three canceled Apollo missions. Right. Right. So 18, 19, Apollo 18, 19, and 20, they got canceled. They got scrapped, but they had all the parts for it. Yeah. Well, they took the, those leftover parts and that's what they used to create Skylab. Yeah. Now like, Skylab was, uh, you know, the, uh, first space station that America put up mm -hmm. had and put up. Oh, looks like this he's, the, he's uh, bringing it up right now. This is the a hundred person space space. Space space. Um, you, we'll be pulling it up yeah. on uh, our video, <laughs> but uh, it looks like a modular space station, but massive. Yep. That, remember, it's supposed to be for a wow. hundred men. Hundred. Yep. Wow. So that, of course, it was just concept. Nothing actually got built or yeah. anything like that. It looks just like uh, it kind of looks like the, just the ISS and other modular space stations. But they were thinking about hundred people at once. Yeah. And the and the modules That's look probably the way one bigger. over on the left. Yeah, that yeah, one. That one, that, right has, there? that one. That one was the the most popular concept of oh, it. Oh, when they really? were going through all the different the ones, time. that was the one that I think they wanted to try to build the most. It's so long. Yeah. <laughs> well, remember, <laughs> it, looks, it had to house a hundred yeah, people. So a hundred people. Um. But. So yeah. So when Skylab went up, uh, they just used leftover parts from mm -hmm. Apollo. So they had the money to do it because they already had the the the, yeah. the um parts for it pretty much. Um, but it was never intended to be a long term. So it, it was, was only up there for six years and it deorbited over Australia in 1979. Right, right. Yeah, Australia got some good artifacts. <laughs> Not willingly. Including <laughs> space poop. <laughs> yeah. That's what some uh, Australian teachers told me once that uh, they, they char. Australia charged uh, the United States four hundred dollars littering fine. It's really like it was a it was just a uh, promotion by like a newspaper or something. It wasn't actually Australia charging the littering fine, um, but uh, yeah. <laughs> my Australian teachers like yes because the poop landed <laughs> and it just smelled for hours and it survived uh, Dior Dior. I was like, come on, that's not why America never paid it. <laughs> Some yeah, DJ it, in the eighties paid it. Yeah, I was gonna like say, that. wasn't there a DJ host in California that ended up raising awareness and got yeah, enough? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so. <laughs> um, all right. So, so while Skylab is in orbit, so before it even fell back down to Earth, NASA. This is when NASA formed a partnership with Europe, with ESA, the European Space Agency. Okay. Um, and they they formed a partnership, and they NASA was telling ESA like, hey, we're in the middle of building a reusable space transportation system a shuttle yeah so that we can build a space station effectively 
Um, however, it's still going to be really freaking expensive. Yeah. So they partnered with ESA to help split some of the costs so that ESA would take some of the, some of the research and stuff so that we could actually be able to do it. Yeah. Um, and ESA was like, yeah, okay, that sounds like a good idea. So they were on board. <laughs> um, and then in 1984 um, to about 1986, uh, Japan heard about it, um, and so did Canada. And they were really interested, so they actually joined yeah. on board with the whole idea of creating a space station out yeah. there. They all signed that treaty. Yep, yep, yeah. exactly. Um, at the time, so uh, they kind of got rid of the whole idea for that, that first space station. Um, it's crazy. So now, at this point, with Japan... Um, some of the European countries and Canada in it, uh, their new concept, they called it, it, it was an unofficial name, but they called it the dual keel space station. The dual keel. So what, did, what is that inspired off of? What does that mean? So it's because the design that they came up with, uh-huh. there's two keels essentially. So you know how the ISS, it's just like one long keel and then you got like the um, yeah. solar panels going off of it. Yeah. Well, this one, they designed it for two that went across. So instead of just that one, they had two of them. It was oh, dual. Yeah. Um, but then uh, right after the Challenger incident, mm. they, um, they, they required that the space station would have to have some type of escape mechanism for astronauts if any, if any emergencies happened. Right. So since they needed to add on, oh, yeah, you oh, can that's see it right good, there. That's a good yep. uh, picture of a keel. Yep, a right there. Double keel. So uh, the dual keel. Dual keel, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, dual. Um, dual. So since since they needed to add on this um, new escape system, mm-hmm. whatever it would be, because they didn't know exactly how they were going to do it, they just knew that they needed to add on this extra thing. Mm-hmm. It was gonna be it was gonna be really heavy, and they didn't want the space station to be that heavy because it just makes it way more difficult and to get things up to it and build it and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so that's when they decided to go from a dual keel to a single keel station. Okay. And that's essentially where ISS started. Um, at the time when they came up with that concept, they called it Freedom, Space Station Freedom. Space Station Freedom. Yeah, it was actually President Reagan that called it. Wow. He named it Space Station Freedom. Huh. Um, but I then, didn't even realize there's like different names in the beginning of yeah. ISS. Like that that makes sense now when you think about so, it. Because like, where did they get ISS from? Yeah. So think of it as in a systems engineering point of view. Yeah. This is all still the conceptual design phase. You're gonna you're gonna come up with one, and then when you present it to your stakeholders, right. and they're gonna be like, um, this quite this isn't gonna quite work. We need a reiteration. And then you go back and you re- reiterate it. Well, it, depending on how popular. Um, that name, the first name was, you might want to change it so people don't think that it's still your first design. Mm-hmm. So your second design is a different name. Hmm. So it went through so many different designs that it went through so many different names. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so so like I said, President Reagan called it uh, freedom once once it the finalized um, concept was all voted on and agreed upon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until the 90s, so it was it was referred to as freedom for like six years. Oh, man. That's From 1984 great. to so, either 1990, 1991, somewhere around there, um, the space station, the International Space Station wasn't called the International Space Station. People would refer to it as Space Station Freedom. Wow. And uh, the, the astronauts I escorted who worked on the shuttle program even before the Challenger accident never even told me that, ever. I mean, they don't even consider it. I mean, there's a lot of things they probably I was gonna say, don't even talk about. It's just yeah. now. I was this like, is what it is now. There's so much stuff to talk about. There's not enough time in the day to yeah, get through yeah, everything. Yeah. So that, I feel like that's not a huge thing. It's just like, yeah. oh, did you know it used to be called Freedom? Okay, cool. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but it wasn't until the 90s. Um, and as, as it was going through the concept phase, uh, they kept adding more and more technology to the space station. Mm-hmm. Um, the concept, of course, they haven't started building it yet. Um, and in their models, it, it was kind of having the same problems that the dual kill space station was having, where okay. it, was, it was just getting too heavy. Okay. At, at some point, they were like, there's too much stuff on this. It's too heavy. Okay. We, we have to do something. Um, so they ended up, uh, they, it went through another redesign phase. Another one. Yes, it, it one. went through a lot of redesign phases. So there was there was three different mod models that was um, that was made up, and the White House voted on which of the three ones they liked the best, which made the most sense. And the one that they voted on was called Space Station Alpha. So now it's Space Station Alpha, not Freedom. Space Station Freedom to Space Station Alpha. Yes. Why would you? Oh, man, that's worse. Why would you go with Alpha, man? So. I, I, I'm PR not sure. Department. I'm not sure what the other two <laughs> concepts were because I only heard about what was actually voted on. But yeah. I can only assume that they were like Beta and beta. Charlie or something. I don't know. <laughs> beta and Zeta. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't think that was going to be the final name. But yeah. they just they just named it that just yeah. to get it through the concept. Where did um, Russia come in on all this? Because so Russia, um, their solid pro, uh, space station program was before Skylab and during Skylab. When the, while it deorbited, and then they sent up the Muir, but during the Muir deorbited in two thousand one. But we they we were working with Russia during that whole time with the ISS, and they actually added a bunch of parts there, the Zarya module yeah. and stuff like that. So Zvezda. So they had um, was it uh, not Zarya Zvezda? Their uh, first um, space station. It was called I'm drawing a blank. Do you remember what it was called? They had nine of them. Yes, Salyut one. Sal- yes, that's right. Salyut. The military so, was um, like during. Yeah, um, they had Salyut one and two. I think was before Skylab. Okay. They were doing all this. They w- this was just all of them. They weren't collaborating with any other countries. Okay. And they weren't. They weren't even telling. They weren't um, sharing information with the United States. Okay. Because at this point, remember, Russia was not Russia. The it Soviet. was the USSR. It was yeah, the Soviet, Soviet Union. Union. Um, so they weren't sharing any of their information with the United States. Right. Uh, so while they were building and testing out all of these space stations, the United States is just like, we know Russia's doing something, or we know the Soviets are doing something, but we don't know exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the uh, the USSR, they ended up having nine of them. Yeah, wow. Um, that they would, like, they would send one out, and then they would do experiments for a couple months. They didn't have boosters to keep it in orbit. Okay. So after after a few months, their astronauts would leave, and then they would just let it deorbit and burn up in the atmosphere. And then they'd send up number two, yeah, and do the same thing. And then number three, four, five, six, all the way to nine. <laughs> um, so apparently, they had more money than the United States at the time, or I don't know. Uh, maybe their workers wanted to. They they just were so into it that they yeah. would be paid less. Yeah. I don't I don't know when it comes to They're, that, but they were they they had no problem just spending all of this money yeah. to send something up for three months and then to just let it burn up in the atmosphere. Yeah. I think after all their failures with the N one rocket and blowing that thing up, and now it costs yeah. a lot of money. I think they're just like, all right, let's just let's just yeah. They, step back. they focused space a lot station. of their time on space stations, yeah. which was really cool. Um, and then so you you also talked about the Mir. Um, yes, they did have another type of space station called the Mir, which is M I R. Um, now that's pretty interesting because, um, when we, when our shuttle program was going on, mm-hmm. um, this was, uh, in the nineties, I think 
um, late 90s, maybe early. No, I think it's late 90s because um, early 2000s was when the ISS actually started yeah. uh, getting inhabited. But in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, um, when after the USS fell in 91 and it just became Russia, um, the United States and Russia started talking to each other more yeah. with it. And uh, Russia was actually kind of interested in getting... Um, you know, helping out with this space station that so many other countries are already a part of. Yeah. And they didn't want to be left out. Um, so they, they came up, they uh, worked with NASA, with the Americans, uh, to come up with the shuttle mirror program. And what they did there is the mirror um, space station that they already had, they wanted to see if they could successfully connect their technology, their way of building space stations with the American way, or I should say with the ISS way, because it's, you know, America and ESA and Japan and all that. Um, So the shuttle Mir program was testing out to see Mm -hmm. if they could build a docking mechanism so that the uh, American shuttle Mm -hmm. could successfully dock with the Russian technology, the Russian built space station to make sure that like, you know, it was sealed tight Mm -hmm. um, that they could, successfully dock and pull away and that there would be no damage or anything like that and um it was actually a huge success yeah so the, the mirror was the very first uh module space uh station and yes. i think you explained that very well yep uh, yeah where they just you know they connect different modules together and the iss is also a module space station yeah but all the solid uh, space stations were just kind of single use they probably had some other technical term china also does they did that recently with their space stations, I think it was three or four of their space stations. They slid, after they used it, they burned up in the atmosphere. Yeah, I'm so. I'm not as familiar with uh, all the <laughs> Chinese yeah. space stations. Yeah. They they kind of remind me of the USSR. They're, yeah, they are very secret <laughs> with what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, um, and I mean we we just know that they're up in orbit. Yeah, and then we can actually observe when they crash down (laughs) not necessarily crash down but burn up in the atmosphere so they've they've had one or two actually burn up in the atmosphere yeah i think they've had like three at least okay i think they'll think about launching the fourth one or they already did i'm not up to date on it but um another thing about the mirror it's interesting a lot sometimes a lot of times they need help up there where they didn't have enough time between one of their launches like got messed up and they needed the shuttle to pick up their astronauts there's one uh, mission where they brought back instead of seven what is max capacity out on the shuttle they brought back eight astronauts because they helped out. I, re- I remember yeah that. they trans yeah. they transferred crews and brought back eight astronauts yeah. um the mirror also does some interesting things that yeah. go on about it it really uh they they the russians kind of like an armageddon in the movie uh where they're the that i think that is supposed to be the mirror in that movie i don't, uh, I don't know well, for sure no they they were on space shuttles and they went to an asteroid yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. The, the, they fueled up with the space oh. station in the very beginning, and I, I think it's supposed yeah. to be the Muir, technically, but... I it, don't know. It's been so long. Yeah, I, yeah, since you've seen anyway. the movie. But um, the Muir was similar to that, where one time they left for so long, and they came back, and there was, like, mold growing all inside the Muir. <laughs> and mm. they had a lot of fires happen. And so uh, the Russian astronauts said... <laughs> <laughs> probably dealt with, uh, with a lot of that yeah and it's just messing up and uh, it's overextended use so they let it burn up in the atmosphere in like 2001 
Yeah, didn't it, at, at one point the fire that broke out was so bad that they couldn't even save it. So they just yeah. got all their astronauts off and then they just let it burn up into the atmosphere. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, hey, it's all about trial and error. Yeah, exactly. I'm, you know, and you know, it's kind of an interesting yeah. test to see how long it could stay up there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so going because we're getting, you know, we're kind of bouncing all over the place with uh, the history of yeah, space yeah, stations. Yeah. But I think uh, I left off with talking about Alpha. Yeah, space Alpha, Alpha Space Station. Yes. Um, so it, it used up about 75% of what Freedom had. Okay. So it's not like it was a complete throw out and reset. It used, you know, it reused about 75%, like I said. That's a lot um, And this is the time that Russia decided to jump in on it. Um, so uh, Space Station Alpha um, had, it, it accepted a couple pieces from some of the Mir space station that Russia had. Really? Yes, um, and it was it was a way of Russia getting their hands kind of in it, um, and and it was also a way to help lower the cost of the entire program because now we have seventy five percent of it, of of from you know what we had for freedom, but now we still have twenty five percent that we need to worry about, and then Russia's like, don't worry about the twenty five percent. Here's our leftover <laughs> parts from Mir. Here you go. <laughs> uh, so were those leftover parts here on Earth already, and they just launched it up then? Yeah. You, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's why yeah, I was yeah. like, whoa. Yeah. So, no, they didn't. They didn't take it from. The mirror that was in the you know in With space mold and it, it was up. it was leftover parts <laughs> from what they had here on okay. Earth that they never launched out. Interesting. Um, so yeah, so it, we went over the shuttle mirror. So um, since the shuttle mirror pro- uh, program was successful and they were able to um, dock the Russian technology and the American technology mm-hmm. in space, that's when the ISS was born. And um, since that was since that was successful. Then Russia and, and NASA decided, all right, we're going to launch up um, Zarya. Russia launched up the Zarya control module. And American, or sorry, uh, NASA launched up their Unity node. Right. And they successfully docked and connected. And now you have two modules, one, one Russian and one American connected together in space. And then I think it was like a month or two later that Russia sent up the Zvezda service module. Okay. So now you have three total modules connected. Okay. Uh, the ISS, ISS is born. That is how the ISS came to be. Hmm. And then there is another 32 assembly missions sent since then. After since, that. Um, and it was the year 2000. I think it was like October of 2000 is when the first astronauts um, began working and living on the ISS. And that was when it was just the three modules. And then over the years, I mean, ISS is still yeah. in orbit now. So mm-hmm. since 2000 up to now, you know, 20 years, there's been 32 additions to it. And yeah, now wow. the ISS is as big as it is now. Yeah. The yeah. size of a five-bedroom uh, house. Yeah. And the length of a football field. Yeah. And they just uh, signed the treaty again. They they extend. No, I'm sorry. They didn't sign the treaty for ISS again. But it has only like five years left, or so. Uh, don't quote me on that. On the tr- five years off, five years left on its treaty mm. with Russia and like everybody working on. Yeah, it. that's what I and hear. So uh, it's it, it could be coming potentially to the end of its road. Uh, it's they're possible. Thinking, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with it. They're uh, now with the Trump administration allowing, and they're going to pass more laws on it. So at least there's the plan. They want to make it uh, feasible for commercial companies to put up 
space stations and mm-hmm. they're thinking about uh sectioning off part of the iss and giving it to commercial companies yeah which I is about quite that. a big task because it, co- it costs like one point something billion dollars to run every year i mean i don't know who's up for the task maybe elon but uh, <laughs> he probably is just gonna put some new space station up you know with new technology that's oh, i mean who knows that is all but we've learned so much from the iss and what we've done and it, it, hopefully we don't just throw it out yes fully so um, you're probably wondering, like, so why did we start talking about working out here on Earth and how it's different in space? And then we went into space station. Talking about um, so the with me um, studying systems engineering, mm-hmm. um, there is a small part of systems engineering called human factors engineering mm-hmm. that I have um, recently been very interested in and, and focusing on in my studies, mm-hmm. um, and that that's kind of where like the working out comes in. So humans, human factors engineering, it's um, how humans are able to work in a certain environment. So like in space, or um, you can even say like on Mars or on the moon. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, it, it gets very specific to like the dimensions of the person's shoulders, their, their, um, Mm. their uh, arm length, their reach, like how long their legs are, things like that. That all comes in a factor or into play when you are developing space stations because if you're developing a space station and let's just say like um the uh lab is like super high tech and it's super cool and everything and it works really well and then you have astronauts go up and they're working in this lab and then it's time for them to go to sleep and they're too long for their beds yeah it's not something where you can just be like oh just you know get a bigger bed no, you you can't just do that. Set it up on the next earth. rocket up, please. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Order my next bed. Um, <laughs> and I mean, it it can be th- tied into anything. Um, yeah. Like their their equipment that they're using. You know, you want to make sure that it fits in their hand properly. Yeah. Especially when it comes to uh, EVAs, extravehicular activities. Oh my gosh! Yeah. You like without knowing too much about it or without having much experience, you'd be like, okay, just give them a hammer. Um, if they need to like hammer something, it's part of their tools. But you have to think that they're in huge spacesuits. Like they can't grab a hammer like they can on Earth or in the, you know, without that spacesuit, what they can with their hand and with just their skin. Like they have to, they have to take into consideration that it's going to be a different grip. Yeah. Um, that's part of human factors engineering. You have to think about stuff like that. Um, and that, it just, when it comes to developing space stations, um, developing, uh, you know, bases on the moon, bases on Mars and, and, you know, beyond, um, you have to consider that you don't want to spend billions of dollars to develop all of these things. And then the astronauts get up there and be like, Oh yeah, I don't fit in this. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's not good. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, and I I think a lot of people don't even really consider all those details. Yeah. And the fact that that's, I mean, a big part of systems engineering, that's what you specifically want to work on. Uh, yes. So systems engineering is like the broad overall right, right. thing. Um, but just one of the things, one of the um, uh, things that systems engineers has to uh, oversee and has to focus on is also human factors engineering. Um, and just that specific part of the life cycle of, of that in the development mm-hmm. is just, it really intrigues me like more than anything else that I've learned so far. Yeah. And I think being able to work on a space station, develop space stations, develop modules, um, just develop the technology that will help improve uh, astronaut life while they're out in space or yeah. out on these um, other worlds. 
I want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that just sounds awesome yeah. to me. Um, I would love to, like, I would love to go to the ISS. Yeah, and just see what it's like to be there. Like yeah. that's that's one of my one of my uh, things on my bucket list is to go out in space, go on an ISS, or if, if the ISS isn't there by the time I get there, um, like NASA is developing the uh, Lunar Space Gateway, which yeah. is essentially the ISS, but instead of it orbiting the Earth, it orbits yeah. the Moon. Yeah. Um, I would, that would be awesome if I got a job on there. That would be there you sweet. go. There you go. And uh, so the lunar gateway, what uh, what are we going to be looking more into? Well, we already talked about refueling mm-hmm. uh, rockets so, and other spaceships going to Mars and beyond. But yeah. what else are they looking at? And also Russia, to my knowledge, still hasn't uh, fully agreed or has any treaty in any part in the lunar gra- gateway, which is very interesting uh, so far by a lot more commercial companies, SpaceX and Blue Origins, including have already produced some things for the lunar gateway or they're, they're, they're going to work with the yeah. lunar gateway as well as other, uh, Boeing and all that. I'm not exactly sure what Russia's plan is. Yeah. Um, I'm not, Who Russian. Does? I'm not, I don't, we're not in Russia. <laughs> um, Russia. I, I mean, we can, only, we can only just assume. Yeah. Um, maybe they have their, their own agenda on, on what they want to do with the moon or yeah. maybe they're building their own gateway or maybe they've just decided, you know, it's like, you know what? We've spent all of this money helping these guys out in the space. We don't want to deal with space anymore, yeah. which I highly <laughs> doubt. I highly doubt. I highly doubt that, but it's not a 0% chance. It's Putin. <laughs> <laughs> He's not yes. going to not do that. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> they need some yeah. presence. In so I, I have, I'm not really sure what Russia is playing. It is. I agree though. It is interesting that they, they haven't jumped on board with us. Yeah. It's kind of, but to be honest with, Companies like SpaceX, Blue Origins, and Boeing, and Northrop Grumman, and all of these like private sectors that are coming up to help us out. We don't really need Russia. Oh, that's quite a ooh interjection. Right now, there. I, 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 <laughs> Hot take. I could be, I could be, you know, shoot myself in the foot there because who knows? Maybe Russia has some advanced technology that we don't know about that like well dang it we could use that they could make yeah. this but i'm saying wh- what i'm saying is we can still accomplish what we're trying to do without them <laughs> well <laughs> at the space station you know there's like, they just came in like oh alpha space station crap name and that was a horrible Russian. That was, <laughs> that was horrible. Oh my god! Anyway, but they came in there and uh, you know, helped us out with the ISS quite a bit. So who knows? Maybe they're going to do the same thing. They're going to do their own thing, and then they're like, you know that, what? Let's actually work with them. That's <laughs> see, that's what I'm guessing. I'm like, if I were to, if I was a betting man, yeah. and I had all these <laughs> options laid on the table, I I would say that they are probably trying to figure out how to make their own. Space station. To my knowledge, they are making a. They have a rocket that they want to send and go to the moon because they they haven't put people on the moon. They still want to do right. And they want to go to the moon. But do you know if they're trying to make a space station that orbits the moon? Not to my knowledge. Yeah. See, I don't know. So yeah, yeah. So Um, they definitely don't have a drawn out plan like we do for going back to the moon and going to Mars. Or maybe they do, and they just aren't sharing it with us. Maybe. Mm? Maybe. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. So this this is exactly what i want to get out of my systems engineering degree yeah okay um it, it is a master's i'm starting out as a master's if if i enjoy it enough and yeah. i get like really into it i you know i could see myself going and get my phd out of it um that's how, on that's how you should be like i you know you might go all the way get your phd and then get into it and yeah. if you hate it like you just you know waste another yeah, couple grand on I, there's, PhD, too, man. there's too many people out there 
that go and I mean, this is true for bachelors, masters, yeah. and PhD. They they sign up to get their bachelors and they don't like it. Yeah. Like they don't know anything about the subject that they signed up for, and they're just like halfway through. They're like, I'm not enjoying this as much as I thought, and they kind of just lose interest. Same thing with I mean, I've I've met some people that are in PhD programs who are like halfway through and they're like trying to work on um, their, not their thesis because that's masters, their uh, doc, doctorate, doctoral, doctoral, doctoral. Um, and they're just like, man, I, I just don't care about what I'm yeah. researching anymore. Like I just don't have the motivation and I, I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want to rush into something. Yeah. I, I don't want to be one of those people who is like, I'm just going to get it or I'm going to get a PhD because I want a PhD. Like I, I don't yeah. want to do that. If I am going to get, pursue a PhD, I want it because yeah. I'm thoroughly interested. But not just that, you're going to try to get the job after your master's. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually. That, that's a great. That is great. I'm actually going to try uh, to get idea, the job before way. I finish with my master's. Oh, okay. There you so, go. <laughs> um, with internships, co-op programs, and things okay. like that, um, I think it's very important. Um, and this is like a message to anybody else who's in, in the middle of getting their degree. Always try to get the job that you want to get into before you graduate. Yeah. Um, a lot of employers, they look for that stuff. They yeah. want to see that you're interested in getting your job before you even graduate because that's showing them that like this is 100% what you want to do. You're, you're in the middle of getting your degree, but you want to just get started. You want to, and that's, that's what intern programs are for, yeah. um, for, for that exact thing. I'm going to link you up with somebody I know. And I think he's actually, he works on the human factors and stuff right now with the SLS stuff. Really? Yeah. He's actually agreed to be on the show potentially. So we'll see. Okay. But, um, yeah, I'm not going to name drop that, but, uh, okay. Thank you. And, um, dang, that's cool, man. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that this job even exists and this is what, this is it's it's one of the biggest ones to really consider and like how everything works up mm -hmm. in outer space and um so the it's awesome the the funny the fun way to look at it with what my desires are yeah is I basically want to be like an interior designer <laughs> <laughs> an interior decorator I want space I want to interior designer for, for, for space stations and for you know bases that are off the earth um, yeah. I want to I want to make sure that people are comfortable in their environment not just I, I don't want them to feel like they're in a bunker for the duration of the yeah. mission or for years at a time kind of like how the ISS is now where it's it's all technical it just yeah. there's wires everywhere um, and things like that it's just not pleasing to look at like you you can only be there for so long until it starts to you know mess with you you start to miss home you start to miss yeah. like the comfort of yeah. you know everyday things uh, I want to be able to help design uh, space stations and moon bases and Mars bases or wherever that it leads me to, yeah. to where it, it makes it comfortable. It makes it feel like home for the person. That is so important. I think also one thing that people are considering now, I just saw an article on it. They, they really do believe that they're going to have uh, space hotels. They're even saying as early as 2025. I don't think that's necessarily true. But 2024 years from now. Yeah, that's what they. I saw an article. They're like, oh, we're definitely gonna have space hotels, most likely by 2025. I was like, no yeah. way. I didn't read the whole article. Right. But but, <laughs> but interior designing in that aspect is very interesting. Commercial field too, and yeah. in, in, for space, 
people are even thinking say, about that. They How might, far you can go? They might be able to get a, a space hotel by 2025, but it's going to be like a 0.5 star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is not going to be a Point very fancy five. hotel. <laughs> it's basically just going to be like the capsule hotels uh, yeah. if you're ever in Japan. <laughs> yep. It's like the capsule hotels there. That's probably going to be what yeah. a space hotel is. But you get to go up in outer space. I mean, hotel in outer space. I mean, I would definitely sign me up. I'm, <laughs> I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah. I, I freaking love the capsule hotels in, in Japan, man. Those things are awesome. Have you tried it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Last year when I went oh, yeah, to Japan you, for three weeks. I didn't weeks. know you would. Oh, that's right. You told me about the cat. Yeah. You <laughs> told me about that. I totally forgot that you did that. that. Well, I know you went to Japan. I totally forgot you actually stayed in one of those hotels. Yeah. And multiple nights. They were awesome. That was cool. Um, for those of you who don't know, a capsule hotel is think of a bunk bed, um, but uh, you you have a way. It's like an, a completely enclosed bunk bed um, to where you just have a twin size mattress. Um, but then when it's enclosed, you have like your own little TV um, with a remote on it. You can set like your AC or your heat. Um, you have outlets right next to you so you can plug in your tablet or your, your phone to charge it and whatnot. And, and that's, that's your space to stay in. Um, so they, they're stacked. So like the capsule hotels that I stayed in, um, it was in Tokyo. So they were actually quite big. Um, ah. And there, there was a lot of them, but I think it stacked three high. So there was one on like the very floor to where you'd actually have to like kind of crouch down to get into it. There was one right about like chest level. And then you had to take a few steps to get on the third floor, the third one. And I mean, you had probably 10 beds down and three high. So 30 people sleeping in just one row of these mm -hmm. capsule hotels yeah um which i know uh, a lot of people are probably like oh man why would you yeah why would you why would you ever like be space? in that but it's actually it's more comfortable and secluded than you would realize and the fact since it's so small and they can fit so many people in such a small space that it doesn't cost a hundred dollars a night like an average hotel does in america how much did it cost it was like twenty dollars twenty bucks yeah wow that's so cheap it was like twenty dollars a night and it's like yeah. when you know when you're traveling and that stuff like that's yeah. nothing it's yeah. awesome. I wonder how much the first one will be, or for the first space hotel. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Dylan just brought up uh, the article actually that I was looking at, uh, in uh, the California company who I actually heard of through the uh, Von Brown uh, station, which I think about creating. They're actually uh, part of it might be um, um, used by the government and NASA. And when it's turning, but other modules might actually be contracted out to space, space hotels as they're talking about in other, uh, other, uh, countries and stuff. And so the California company, the gateway foundation has released plans for the Von Brown station, a cruise ship style hotel floating around the stars, uh, first space station hotel to set, set to open in 2025. I don't know. That's that uh, that station it's, idea it's too is crazy. But it makes sense. It does. Tourism is such a huge profit bomb. Yeah. Like every every country that has a tourism section yeah. is going to make money off of it at yeah. some point yeah, or other. Yeah, that's that's the exact one they've so, been they've been talking about and, and that is just crazy. I mean, you you know, it's by 2025 once, though. Once they, it's gonna so be 2025 so is pretty optimistic. Yeah. Definitely not going to look like any of those pictures <laughs> for sure in <laughs> yeah, 2025. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> as as they they test it, they do trial and right. error, they perfect it, they get it, they get it more and more luxurious. Right. Luxurious. After they um, get it on uh, supply chain so that they can build those modules for cheaper, and it becomes fairly affordable for you know a person right. they're 100% going to yeah, book 100%, that yeah 100% yeah 
Like I, I want to go now. Yeah. How much does it cost? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, man, look at all this, this imagine the future right now. We might still have the ISS up there. Other commercial companies are putting their own space stations, testing things, commercial astronauts, uh, that they'll be hiring a commercial hotel. Yeah. <laughs> One of on Brown station was this giant spinning station. Then you also got the lunar gateway space is <laughs> what they got planned and what they're building and doing understand that big idea picture because it's just all connected for me i'm like holy crap and then we're going to you know try to go to mars Woo. that's right and you're gonna you're gonna be at the helm of and, that and systems engineering <laughs> is gonna get me there yeah hopefully 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 <laughs> but yeah that's that's uh that's the dream man that's yeah. my dream at least it's not yeah. everyone else's dream i think that's, that's a, my dream that's a great dream and that's really where it's all going i think you would do really well at that how your managing style is too thank you and i'm actually like now getting the whole picture i was like that just seems like dusted yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. really cool i definitely like seeing the bigger picture i think you're really good project. with people too so prices up there for the first uh space right, station so it says two hundred and fifty thousand dollars per person that's per trip that's still pretty uh, optimistic, I think. I, yeah. I mean, if if that's true, is that uh, what's going to be over the in Aurora Station? There's another station they're talking about. The Aurora Station says to stay 9.5 million. Well, is that the entire hotel to build? Or is yeah, that, I don't know. I, I doubt that that's per se. But even yeah. if... Okay, so let's just say that it does open in 2025. Uh-huh. And they are able to charge as low as low as $250,000 per person per yeah. day. They're still going to get people that do it because oh. they're like, if I had that money, if I was a CEO of a big, you know, multi-billion dollar company or anything like that, I would definitely pay that money to go and do that. That's like a once in a lifetime thing. Yeah. Like nobody else in the history of humankind but before this generation would be able to say that they've done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so, incredible. And that is just definitely going to happen. It's definitely going to blow up. So uh, no, not, I hope it doesn't blow up. No, no. Well, <laughs> <laughs> please don't. Please don't wish that upon us. No, no, not as <laughs> that. The Roaring Twenties. They see the first space station up in our space or space hotel in our space. The one of our Brown Station. That is just going to be one massive project. I know the 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 modules are supposed to be. Um, man, what's that guy's name? The guy that does the expandable models, well, uh, modules, well, they're supposed to be the expandable ones. You're talking about, um, what's that guy? Bigelow? Yeah, Bigelow. Bigelow expandable modules. Yeah, the, the beam. The beam, beam. yeah. Beam. Bigelow um, expandable something modules. I don't yeah. remember what the A stands for. And they're supposed artificial? to- Artificial? Artificial. No, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, anyway. And the station, I know in the middle of it that we just saw in those pictures, that's where it's going to dock uh, whatever um, spaceship from mm-hmm. Earth that's going to dock right in the middle. Is it, it is it supposed to rotate? It's, no? supposed it's supposed to supposed rotate to, to create artificial okay. gravity, and each yeah. module is on the on the outside. So they they're going. I mean, the, the, this is their plan anyway. They're going to build out, and it's going to spin, and they it's going to create the gravity on the yeah. really far ends. So, so I, I assume if they have to go to the modules, like it's not going to be artificial going to the modules, like in however they transport there to each module. But once they get to the modules, it'll be there will be some form of artificial gravity. Yeah, so the artificial gravity, ever since uh, Von Braun uh, made his uh, blueprints, um, he, with space stations, to create that artificial gravity, um, you would have to create centripetal motion. Um, and it has to be at a specific speed so that it would equal approximately one G-force, um, ideally. Uh, the faster you go, the more 
uh, force that you would feel outward. So you would feel more gravitational pull. Um, so, I mean, if you really wanted to, I mean, that could be a great training program in the future. If we end up perfecting that technology and we have astronauts go into a planet that is, that has more gravitational pull than the earth, that would be a great training exercise to have a space station spin at just the right amount of velocity so that they experience that same amount of gravitational pull and then, you know, work and live in that environment for a couple months before you go on that planet. Hey. It's a great idea. That <laughs> is a good idea. Uh, but it's so much harder yeah. <laughs> to actually do than it is to say. Yeah. So th one of the reasons why we haven't even done it yet, because, I mean, Warner Von Braun came up with it decades ago. We haven't done it yet because of how difficult it would be to yeah. actually do it. Yeah. And the reason why it would be so difficult is, so if we're talking about a space station that's orbiting something, orbiting the moon, orbiting Earth, orbiting anything... You have to make sure that the orbital speed stays so that it stays in the correct path of the orbit as well as spinning to create that artificial gravity. So now you have to worry about two, two things right there. And as soon as it, if it gets off by just a little bit, it's going to be so hard to correct it on the correct path or to either get it back in the correct orbit or to get it spinning the correct way because there's... There's three um, different dimensions that it can spin in. I mean, when astronauts, when they were training uh, for the Mercury program, they uh, were testing out, um, I, I can't remember the uh, the spins, where they completely lose control and they have to try to correct themselves, yeah. reorient themselves. I can't remember what the exact um, terminology of it was, uh, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, so imagine doing that, but with an entire space station instead of just a little tiny capsule that you're in. Yeah. It's so much heavier. It, there's so much more mass yeah. in it. So your momentum is going to be it's going to be 100,000 times a million times more than a capsule was yeah like it's just that much harder to make sure that it stays on the correct path and that's not even talking about trying to dock to the thing yeah that that does the <laughs> idea of docking to it while like, it's spinning like just crazy. just imagine <laughs> so just imagine that we do end up coming up with a system to where we can make sure that it's correctly oriented it's in the correct orbit it's spinning the correct way at the correct speed everything's good now imagine trying to have something else come to it match its exact spin its exact centripetal motion and to dock at the exact like to get the clamps to to attach and everything that is ridiculously hard that's seventeen thousand five hundred miles per hour or more <laughs> well as it goes around the right, earth yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. with it spinning it's probably it's not gonna have to oh, spin yeah, that yeah, fast yeah, but true, but just think about it you have to match yeah. its orbital speed you have to match its um, you know, it's rotational speed. Uh, and as you're like trying to get it to hit, like, you know, our astronauts had trouble enough as it is when they are completely still yep. in space and they had to correct, you know, in the, in the Y and Z motion. Mm. Like imagine trying to do that while everything's spinning. <laughs> it, it's ridiculous. It's I'm not saying that it's, it's impossible because yeah. it, it's not impossible. It's just extremely hard. And we haven't built the thruster systems the you know we don't have the technology advanced enough to be able to perfect it we can definitely try it now yeah and we're gonna fail <laughs> and it's not gonna be good i know they uh, in the gemini program they did spin the ca they tried to create artificial gravity and they spun their capsule the problem is with the uh, the force of it the astronauts were going at different speed yeah than the capsule was so, so once they got yeah. so here's here's the problem you can't just spin any 
thing right. to, to try to get artificial gravity. Right. Um, it has to be a, a donut shape or a torodo shape because in the center, in the very center, you're not going to feel anything. Right. Think, think of a merry-go-round. Yeah. When you are on the outside of that, you are feeling way more force than when you're in the center. Right. And it's the same thing with any object in space. It, it has to be designed to where the astronauts, well, I mean, they can be on any level, but depending on what kind of gravity you want on each level, that's what you have to think of. So when it comes to like the Gemini capsule, that thing wasn't circular. Yeah, no. <laughs> so when it, it, it's like spinning a rock. Yeah. Like the outs, the very outside of that is going to be going really fast, and the inside is just going to be kind of sitting there rotating, but you're not going to feel any force. Yeah. So of course it's it didn't work for the, <laughs> the Gemini capsule. <laughs> Why uh, Dylan's saying he'd be mad if there's a uh, gravity on the space hotel? Why, Dylan? That's the whole point of going to space. Well, you're probably gonna be able to experience both, like gravity and no gravity, or microgravity. Well, if you know? if we do get to the point where we have perfected the technology to be able to have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, space hotels. Well, not no, no, space hotels, spacecraft, whatever, rotating, and we can successfully, you know, dock and undock from it. Then I don't see why we can't have both. We yep. can have one that's spinning so that you can enjoy a nice meal on a table without it <laughs> floating up everywhere. And then when you've, you know, if, especially if you want to take a shower, you're definitely going to need artificial gravity yeah. when you want to take a shower. Yeah. Um, but then say like, all right, you've taken your shower, you've done it. Now you feel like going and having fun in microgravity. And then you just leave from that space station and go to the other space station or the, you yeah. know, the other hotel. So there, there. Makes everybody happy. Uh, <laughs> all right. Do you remember that movie? Uh, is it Passengers with um, um, Chris Pratt and uh, Jennifer I Lawrence? I've never seen. You it. never seen it? No. There's and a scene I you gotta I, watch I, it I because it talks all about this and like living and, and they create artificial gravity. And can I spoil one scene for you? You're Go for it. I, so there's yeah. one scene where she is um, in a pool. Okay. In the in the artificial gravity is like turned off because something happened to the ship. And it just she started to float yep. and almost starts to drown. Like, please, please tell me that <laughs> um, the water ended up becoming uh, a spherical. It did. Okay. It did. It didn't break off though. Like it was all pretty much sticking together. To well, my knowledge, I can't. Re- I've only seen it once, so I can't well, yeah, recall the whole uh, scene. Water does. It, it attaches to itself. Right. Um. So that. That makes sense. Yeah, I think it. Did, I th- <laughs> yeah, I think it did very well explaining a lot of the sciences. I kind of want you to watch it and give me some of your that feedback because that's something you like to do. Is yeah. you like to watch certain movies and you're just like, nah, yes. that, that wouldn't help work. Passengers has been a movie that I've been wanting to see, and it just. Uh, I have Netflix. I haven't seen it on Netflix uh. yet. <laughs> so uh, um, I don't. I don't have TV, and I don't have multiple streaming services. All, right. I only have Netflix. So if it's not on Netflix, I probably haven't seen it. Yeah. We're gonna have to watch it. We'll get. Uh, I I would love to watch yeah, it. You knew. Um, <laughs> I was like, I remember seeing Interstellar, and that was an interesting movie. What do you think? Um, they got a lot of the uh, theories right when it came to like how time slows down uh-huh. the the um, closer you get to the speed of light. Uh-huh. Um, that all made sense. The whole like phasing into the fourth or fifth dimension and yeah. like him seeing his past and stuff. That's when I get kind of skeptical. That, that's you know, too really theoretical. Skeptical. Yeah, that's too theoretical. When it, uh, I know you hate as, quantum mechanics. As a, as a <laughs> physicist, I hate, yeah, I hate quantum mechanics. It makes no <laughs> sense. Um, but nobody understands quantum mechanics anyway. Yeah. Um, but when it, when it comes to time traveling and stuff like that, I, 
I think that you can travel forward in time. Yeah. Actually, you're you're just slowing your aging down is what it is. Right. But you can't travel back in time. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't believe that. And all all of these uh, theoretical, you know, all these theories with time traveling and all that stuff. When they travel back in time, I'm like, okay, I'm I'm my interest has been lost. Yeah. <laughs> because that it just from everything that I've researched from everything that I've read from everything that I've seen nothing even says that you can go backwards in time I thought you said uh, you did tell me that uh, Back to the Future is like the closest potential yes Uh, Uh, which I was like wait what Back to the Future really I thought that was the most unrealistic one I say that it's it's in my opinion it's the most accurate one if time traveling to the past was possible because um, I still end up like reading stories and watching movies and TV shows that time travel. Um, And in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to uh, pretend that traveling back in time is possible. Then there are so many stories that mess up with creating. um, I can't think of the word for now. Um, Not loopholes. It's like when you, when you go and you like, let's just in looper the movie looper yeah the main character goes into the past kills himself spoiler (laughs) yeah that movie man that movie is older than passengers so (laughs) yeah uh, but the main character goes back in time and kills himself Mm -hmm. it it's impossible because because if he kills himself then he never gets older yeah and now since he's not older he can never go back in time to kill himself yeah what Paradox. That paradox. is what it's paradox called. Jeez, I couldn't think yeah. of this. There's so many. There's so many stories that that just kill it for me. Yeah. Even if I pretend that time traveling to the past is possible, they they always form a paradox, and it just doesn't work. And I'm like, okay, that now now I can't even pretend that it's possible because yeah. they just killed it for me. Um, Back to the Future is like one of the only ones that doesn't actually create a paradox. Like the 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 whole premise of that trilogy is to make sure that they don't do it, and yeah. they actually succeed. They don't. There's no point in that movie that would create a paradox. Yeah, and that's why I like that movie so much because while pretending that time traveling in the past is possible, they are the closest to making it actually yeah. right. <laughs> if that makes sense. That is so interesting, and uh, <laughs> all those movies. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, it's I just loop. <sighs> Yeah, Looper. Yeah, Looper with yeah. a grain of salt. I was so excited to see that movie, and uh-huh. then when that happened, I was like, "This is the, s- the s- worst movie of all time." <laughs> it, it's it's almost like uh, when uh, I talk to some veterans or just military people or people that shoot guns, and they watch like all the action films, and they're just like, "Dude, that is just no. You would never do that. Why?" And like yeah. uh, they say, a lot of the, all pretty much all action films and how they uh, do their scenes and stunts and things and shoot shoot at other people. It, it wouldn't go down like that. <laughs> so well, yeah, but it's very, if, it's, it's very mean, similar with the physics thing. And, uh, Hollywood is Hollywood. I was going to say, but to defend Hollywood, if they made everything exactly accurate, it would not be very fun to watch. That's true. That's the true. whole point of Hollywood is to exaggerate reality yeah. Yeah. so that it's really fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I love to, my favorite quote is live your life like a movie. Yeah. But it's also, you really can't because there's going like a movie, you know, it's like an hour, two hours while 
there's hours in a day and you have to devote a lot of time to say working out and stuff like that. And yeah, I know one thing I'm imagining your life as a movie, Dustin, and you're going to be building space hotels and space stations, hopefully being the interior designer and maybe even <laughs> going up there. So I kind of hate that. I now said interior designer. <laughs> I, I hate that call, I brought that up. I, as, as every time analogy. I see you now, I'm just going to say he's a space interior designer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. I'll just have to own it then. You just I have, have to, to just walk it. proud and be like, "Yeah, you're probably the only one that's ever had that had that title right now." Uh, I'm Maybe. sure there's somebody out there, Possibly. but nobody that I know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So I appreciate you allowing me to come on in the show, especially because I had to follow Joe Barry, who was on the last episode, yeah. and man. I, I watched that and he's had some really cool, he's yeah. had a cool life. Yes, yes, and yes. And when you, when you asked me to come on after, you know, the episode after him, yes. I'm just like, oh man, I have to be the one to follow <laughs> that up. Like really? <laughs> well, I think it was a good transition because he worked with the space shuttle and then we just talked about with ISS and space station yeah. and like how that, all that progressed. And I think it was, I think all, all everybody that I have on though, man, it's, it's going to be, like I said before, we are trying to get different ideas, different people on to show what people are doing, skill sets, and so many interesting stories and people just in general. Yes. Somebody's going to resonate with your story, man, and, and everybody's story that we have on here. And thank you so much for coming on. I think we probably, I I can go and talk with you for like days on end <laughs> just about all types of stuff. We'll probably I, have you on again. I man. always I always feel like we so. get in some like philosophical conversation whenever we hang out. Dude, every <laughs> time. He like goes way longer on uh, than I than I assume. And I, and I, I feel like we don't hang out as much as we used to. I mean, yeah. we used to run away from bears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one one of these days we'll actually tell that story yeah, flat we, out. we need a, we need dave on here for that and then it'll just be a, a recount for that whole thing and, and we we all have three different like perspectives on the story <laughs> i'm pretty sure mine's the most correct but i'm th- also biased because that's me <laughs> i actually think yours is the most accurate because okay. i definitely messed part of that story up and i was like okay yeah he was right he was right on that part so i know some parts right. of where your details and my details line up now and i'm like okay okay he was right on that by the way i just want to say i am extremely like in awe of this studio that you have made so the last time that i was in this space none of this was here (laughs) yeah and so and i remember like the last time we talked you you had the idea Mm -hmm. of creating a podcast in huntsville and i was just like yeah that'd be a really cool idea but like and you know i hear ideas every single right. day that don't get implemented on right and then when i and then you were like yeah i'm actually you know gonna set up a studio and everything i'm actually like you know buying the, the material and stuff and i'm like oh okay like, he's he's actually gonna try it out i'm like okay well i hope it works out for him like i'm yeah. sure a lot of you know a lot of people who try crazy ideas most of the time it doesn't work out right um and then i like saw some of the episodes on like youtube and facebook and i'm like Oh dang! Like he's he's actually like getting that the podcast up and running. Like this is cool. And now that I'm in here in person, like this is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I really like this setup and what you guys, what you and Dylan did with it. So. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we we hope it um we uh, it, it just makes sense. All of it just hit. It was really weird how all this worked out, and <laughs> Dylan hopped on board, and other people have been helping out. And it's crazy. Yeah, what's going in? You know, maybe maybe at the end of the day, at the end of the year, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe something bad happens. That's very pessimistic. Yeah. But guess what? We're gonna keep trying. We're gonna keep throwing I, stuff on one. Thank you for that. Uh, every yeah. s- every system has a life cycle, <sighs> and every system comes to an end at some point or another. 
does. Life cycles. I just like idea life. Oh man. Well, so. thank you so much, buddy. Hey, it's been good. Thank you, sir. This yes, has sir. been a fun time. I appreciate it. Good, good. Well, you have a good one. Good luck with everything you're doing. Thank you. And uh, yes, systems engineering, space stations. Think about the future of Rocket City because that's what we want to promote. And the Roaring Twenties is here. And we're going to see some crazy stuff happen. I'm excited. From Cody. From All Cody. that crazy stuff is going to be from you. Yes, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll be hosting a podcast on the space station. <laughs> Yo, to host a podcast on the space station, I would listen to that. Yeah. That would be awesome. <laughs> Maybe when I get that's up That's my there. biggest goal. That's, yeah. We're, All right. I'm that's going to be one of my requirements. The next I'm, time you're on. The, <laughs> when I'm making the, the next space station module, it's going to have a studio for podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Rocket City Podcast, baby. Here we go yeah. to outer space.